You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Finally then, brothers... We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, Disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. We just finished up our series through the book of Ruth. A wonderful book. I hope you all enjoyed it for our Advent series. I uh, just could treasure, I treasure the book of Ruth. But so we spent a lot of time in that book emphasizing the reality of the sovereignty of God, that God is in charge and he is in his providence working all things ultimately for his own glory and for the good of his people. So we, we built the hammock, you know, God's in control and God is kind and we hung the hammock in between there. But what can often happen when we begin to emphasize God's sovereignty, and by that I mean his, he has charge of all things, there is nothing outside of the realm of God's control. There is not a molecule of existence that is outside of his hands. And when we begin to stress these things, it's a, that can be a great comfort in the midst of trying times because it is, it is communicating to us that God is not out of control. God has not lost control. He is working all things towards a good end for his people. So it can be a great comfort, but then we often begin to ask when we have a very high view of the sovereignty of God, which I do have a very high view of the sovereignty of God, we begin to ask questions like, well, if God's in charge of everything and he's got control of everything, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm just going to sit back and let him do what he does. And then it's all going to turn out the way it's supposed to turn out because God's in charge. God's in control. Maybe we should just let everything happen by God's hands and do nothing. And that would be a conclusion you could make. I don't think it's the right one. 
But it could be a conclusion you would make, but it would not be a right one. So we get to the question, then, what ought we to be doing? What should we be about? And it can be a complex question to try to answer. We, we understand the need to repent and trust Christ. This is first and foremost in, in what we're talking about when it comes to Christianity, trusting the gospel. And so there certainly is this obligation on our part, this command to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, Paul had said to the Philippian jailer. So there is this command upon us to believe in the gospel. If you are here this morning and have never trusted in Christ, or if you're listening online and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one who has come and died for sins because you as a sinner deserve the wrath of God. You are not in your natural state in a favorable relationship with the creator of the universe. Every one of us, Romans 3.23 tells us clearly that every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, God's wrath stands against us, not his favor. And so what Christmas is all about is God sends his son, lives on earth the righteous life that we should have lived and failed to do, dies the death on a cross, taking our sin upon himself as our substitute so that every one of us throughout history, turning from their sins and trusting in Christ can be forgiven of our sins, made righteous in God's sight and, and in, in good favor and good standing with God. That is the gospel message. Man, God created it all. Man fell. Christ redeems it. Believe. Cling to Christ. So then the gospel message gets out there. Hopefully you hear it. God opens your ears, you believe it, your heart, you're given a new heart. God brings you to life, regeneration happens, you believe in Christ. Now what? Now what? Now what are we to be about? And for many in our modern church world, we think that the business we must be engaged in that pleases God is to be about building the church. Okay, so now you've got saved and you trusted Jesus now Get involved in some sort of church building, church activity. Get involved building the church. This is done by our efforts to start certain programs up, to try to encourage large attendance on a Sunday morning. Let's make the biggest, flashiest, most wonderful church service we can try to create. This is done by those certain efforts. We do many activities that tangibly benefit the community. We try to then have a church that has lots of services and programs for the community. Those are all good things. The thought is that for God to be honored, we must build up the church. But that actually is not our business. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus is talking with Peter. This is right after his confession at Caesarea Philippi, where he says, you know, some say John the Baptist, some say you're whoever, a prophet from of old. And Jesus asked, well, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, well, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. He makes this confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus blesses him and says, blessed are you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And he says, I, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, we could have lots of argument. What's the rock? Is it Peter? Is it the confession? I think it's the confession that Jesus is the Christ. Upon this confession that Jesus is the Christ, upon that confession, Jesus says, upon this rock, 
I will build my church. <laughs> Jesus is in the business of building the church. Jesus is in the business of, of creating and sustaining and organizing and building up the church. The church being built up must not become our priority. That job is already taken. That is what Christ is doing. He is building his church. So then we ask again, well, then what are we to do? If we love Jesus, he's building the church. Where does that leave us? Well, Christ does give his followers a commission. That's in Matthew chapter 28. So you go to the end of the book of Matthew, into the gospel of Matthew. Verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There we see high sovereignty. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I read a book this week that was talking about this reality that if you if you seek to make a church, you rarely or never end up with disciples. But if you seek to make disciples, followers of Jesus, you always end up with a church. Because those disciples, those followers of Jesus are going to get together and that is the church. But if you aim to just have a church, programs, and all these things going on, you rarely end up with disciples. However, if the goal is to make followers of Jesus, individual learners, disciples of Jesus, you end up with the church. Two things I want us to see in this text. If we, we were looking at 718, but if you, if you jump up to 16 in, in the Gospel of Matthew there, so Matthew 28, 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, and then 19, he says, go and make disciples. Those who are to go and make disciples are those who are already disciples. It is disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. They become disciples, and then they make disciples. It's, it's so easy. It's almost a, a throwaway statement today. To say that you believe in Jesus, believe in God. It's so easy to make a, a, an affirmation. I believe, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, my faith is, I'm, I got a strong faith. I love God. I have conversations with people all the time that they're convinced they believe in Jesus. I see major problems going on. Their life is falling down around them. And I see various sins they've confessed. These are things they're engaged in. And I say, you know, uh, I'm concerned. How are things going? And they say, because I'm a pastor, well, I tell you, if I ever have any problem with God or anything like that, I'll be sure to contact you. It's like, listen, you're, you're missing the whole point. The, all, of this, all of this falling down around is, hinges largely upon you have a misunderstanding of, of who God is and who you are, who Jesus is, and the whole point of, of all of this. But they're convinced they believe in Jesus in a satisfactory way. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, they'd say, and that he's the Savior and all that stuff. I, I believe all that stuff. It's just, but they believe it in a way that is so often, so often essentially powerless and pointless. I think a better question that we could ask that would get to the heart of the matter quicker is to ask, are you a disciple of Jesus? 
Not just do you believe in him. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? When we speak of being a disciple, we mean someone who is a learner. Someone who is a learner. Someone who is not just giving lip service to Jesus, but someone who's truly trying to, truly trying to follow the way of Jesus. When Christians first came on the scene, they became known as followers of the way. Because they had a life, they had a direction that was patterned after Jesus. A better question to ask yourself may not be, how am I doing in my belief of Jesus, but how am I doing in my discipleship of Jesus? Am I a learner? Am I a follower? A more accurate or more helpful diagnostic question, does your life bear any of the marks of having Jesus guiding who you are and what you do? What does Jesus want for us as his disciples? And I think there are many places we could go, but when our opening text there in Thessalonians, it gives us a clear uh, thought regarding what Jesus wants for his people. We are told there in 1 Thessalonians 4 that God's will for you, in verse 3 of chapter 4, for this is the will of God. What does God want for your life? What does God want for you? People ask that question all the time. What should I do? What does God want? Here, Paul says as clear as he can, here is the will of God, your sanctification. We are told that God's will for us is our sanctification, our growth in godliness. And now this Thessalonian church, they were going through a lot of trials. You can look at a different places earlier in the book, chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 14, that Paul, they're having a lot of suffering they're, they're walking the life of following Christ, which included all kinds of suffering. This church is having all kinds of suffering. You might think, because life is so hard, that Paul would say to them an encouragement just to endure, just to, just to keep clinging to Christ, just endure. You know, you've done enough. You've believed in Jesus. All this persecution is coming. Life is hard. Just endure. Just hold on till the end. I know things are rough, and I just want to encourage you to hang on. Paul does encourage them to endure, to have endurance, but he doesn't end there. He doesn't just say, just hold the line. He encourages them as though it is the heartbeat of every follower of Christ to walk in a way that pleases God and to do so more and more, more and more. He says that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. The heartbeat of every follower of Christ is to walk in a way that pleases God and to do so more and more. We're getting ready for the turn of the new year and this is the time everyone makes resolutions they never intend to keep beyond, you know, the month or whatever, or they intend to keep them. But it's, 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 it's a fun time. I love this time of the year. I love making resolutions. I love making plans for what I'm going to do, and then I accomplish a tenth of it. But, you know, I figure I got a tenth of that done. It's more than I would have if I hadn't planned anything. So I, I love this time of year. But Christianity is this interesting, we're not, we're not engaging on how can, I be, how can I be a Christian in 2021. We're saying, how do I grow more and more day by day from here on out to the rest of my life? You're not trying to accomplish one thing in a year. We are trying to build a life of following Christ as a disciple and growing towards him more and more every day. Small 
advances every day, growing like him more and more and more and more. And it can be discouraging to think about, well, I want to become super Christian, or I want to have all the answers, or some, some idea like that. But the reality is, this, this is a following of Jesus that takes you day by day by day, answering the question, how am I today becoming more of a follower of Christ? Is my discipleship of Christ following? So we want to do this more and more and more. And so I got four just practical ways. This is a different sermon out of Darren. But we got just four practical ways that we can engage in God's will for us for our sanctification. How can we become better disciples of Jesus? The first way I want to submit to you to become a better disciple of Jesus is one that's not often mentioned. It is the mortification of sin. How can you become a better disciple of Jesus? The mortification of sin. In this immediate context here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul specifically is speaking about sexual purity. I mean, he immediately goes to that, that idea. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. The idea being communicated is to honor the sanctity of marriage. Between husband and wife, they are to be pure with each other and have control over the bodies. And I don't want to do injustice to the text and not just mention what Paul is clearly talking about in this context. He's condemning any sexual activity outside of a monogamous heterosexual marriage. He's saying, keep yourself pure, abstain from sexual immorality. So if you are a disciple of Christ... Paul is just saying, hey, here is one of the main ways that you work for your own personal purity. This means that Christians have no concept of casual sex, activity outside of any activity of that nature, outside of the marriage covenant. But further, as Christians, we know that it doesn't just end there. Like, because we could sit around and say, well, you know, thank goodness I'm not, I'm not out on that, that end of the spectrum but those are just external realities. Christianity doesn't just deal with the outside of the cup. We're dealing with the heart. And so, therefore, as we deal with the heart, things like pornography, images of a sexual nature that would be considered in this category as well, they are sins to be killed. God's will for you is your, more, is your sanctification. Also, any fantasizing of situations with those who are not your spouse, this is sin. That's Paul's immediate context. But if you're avoiding those things in a natural way, externally, that doesn't, I don't want you to think you're in the clear. <laughs> because we are to grow more and more in our walk of pleasing with God. So Paul tells them also to kill this lust of the Gentiles. Now this is in line with what he said before, but I think it's also justifiable to say that with this text, there's this, any overwhelming desire for something is lust. Paul says, um, in Philippians 3.19, that there are these, these individuals who they walk as the enemy of the cross. They have their belly as their God. Their stomach is their God. And he's communicating the idea, just their appetite. What they want is what they go and do. Their appetite, their lusts are their God. What they want, that is what they go and get. And I think that's huge in our culture today. Does your discipleship ever require you to say no to any of your sinful desires. Does Jesus ever tell you no? You can't. No, you mustn't. And do you ever listen? 
Does your, does your discipleship ever involve a no? For many, Christianity today has this idea that's only about God's love, defined as God letting and affirming every want and desire and wish that you have. God is love, and therefore he loves and affirms everything that I want to do and I would desire. And it's next to impossible if, if that's the way that you see Christianity. It is next to impossible to, to suggest or to think that, that the enemy isn't swaying you towards one sin or another. The reality of the Christian life is that we do still wrestle with indwelling sin. And so if you make Christianity about God is just affirming my every want and desire, you are negating the whole reality that we are, as Paul talks about in Romans 7, constantly at war with our fleshly mortal, with mortal selves. This fleshly desire is constantly at war within us. This is so sure that the Christian who is not engaged, when I talk about sanctification, the Christian who is not engaged at some level with the killing of sin in your life is almost assuredly losing the battle with sin. It is impossible to assume that your enemy or your fleshly desires are not constantly swaying you towards one sin or another. So if you do not live actively engaged in the fight against sin... You're losing the fight. It has not disappeared, but you've put on blinders to think, oh, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really killing this thing. I'm doing really good. I, I must not have any more sin left because I don't wrestle with my sin at all. And you see that's out in the world, right? I must not have any sin because I got no problem with any of the things that I do. But that is just highlighting the reality that we have been blinded to our own sin Christianity, sanctification, your growth and godliness growing more and more is going to involve every day some level of mortification of sin. It's John Owen wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin and one of the famous lines from it is be killing sin. That's what mortification means, I guess. I could have, that's mortification is killing. Someday you want to, the mortification, the killing of sin. That's what that word means. If, if, John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. This has been such a, a, a change of, of thinking, even just in the past months in my own life, of realizing if I'm not mortifying some sin, if I can see nothing on my horizon that needs mortified, I'm probably deceived. And I need to think about where are the areas that my sinful nature are pulling me away from my discipleship. Do not float along. Check your life daily for the sins that are pressing in on you. Take stock, name them, and immediately begin to kill them. Take them to prayer. Set a course with your life, fighting the things that displease God. Write it down if you have to, but do not float along. I'll go quickly through the last three. So this was mortification of sin. I think it's huge in the Christian life for discipleship today. The mortification of sin. Secondly, if we want to grow in our godliness, it is the study of God's word. Clearly, we um, do not, like Ruth, get to know every twist and corner of God's secret will. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. But it also says the revealed things belong to you and your children. There are things that God has revealed and that's what's found in the 66 books of our Bible. God has revealed himself. We are all being shaped by something. 
You're being shaped by something. What you spend your day doing today will shape what you become. This is one reason why we encourage regular church attendance. Just the regular showing up. You're being shaped by the things that you do. The things that you give time to. What you give energy and importance to will shape you. How much of your life is given to learning this book? Growth and godliness, mortification of sin, study of God's word. 2021 is coming up. We do all kinds of reading plans here at the church. You want to join? We do one that's two years through the Bible. And again, it's this commitment to grow more and more and more and more. Don't sit down and think, i got to learn this book in the next two months. Don't do that. Commit to learning something more about it this week. Learning a little more, growing in my knowledge of it, growing in it, reading plans, make small reasonable goals, get books explaining the Bible, start somewhere and just keep going and soak your Bible reading with prayer. You want to grow in godliness, mortification of sin, study of the word. Thirdly, I think I have down prayer, I, the persistent prayer. Communion with God is vital to the life of the believer we ought to always be engaged in prayer. Your mortification of sin should be doused in prayer. Your study of the word should be soaked in prayer. But you need to be praying over and through everything, but also spending dedicated time just communion with God. And that means you start out with, if this isn't a part of your life, you set your watch for three minutes. I'm not, I'm not kidding about you. Like you put up three minutes and you say, I'm going to take three minutes Darren, that's not very much prayer. You say persistent prayer. Start somewhere. If you want to grow in your godliness, spending time in prayer. And fourthly, I have down that we need to participate in the community. Mortification of sin. If you want to grow in your discipleship, you want to be a disciple so you can make disciples, you got to start with being a disciple. Mortify your sins, study the word, be in prayer, and commit to community. Christians were not meant to be islands. Make a commitment for community in 2021. Even if there are days when you are pretty sure you don't need any help, like I hear this, you know, you think about, well, I get up, I feel pretty good. I don't, you know, if I, if I really need uh, to, you know, need to hear, uh, sing some hymns and hear from God and read the word, then I'll show up. But, if I, but I feel, I don't feel too bad. I think I can miss this week. Well, what about the rest of us who are here who maybe need you to show up and encourage us? Make a commitment for community in 2021. How do you know that there isn't someone in your church family that needs your care and support and that you can give them something that I can't give them? We need the commitment to community. And I left community last, not because it's the most important or anything like that, but it is where then discipleship begins to flow out. We begin to disciple one another. In our discipleship under Jesus, it is in community that is, is community that is vital to the command to keep reproducing to make disciples. The way disciples of Jesus make disciples of others is through moments of community. And one of those is the Sunday morning service. Read your Bible with other people. Pray with other people. Rejoice with other people. Weep with other people. Go out as a disciple and make other disciples as you go. How do we obey Christ's command to make disciples? When he says, God's will for you is, what are we to be about? How are we to obey this command to make disciples? By growing as disciples ourselves. 
That's kind of the heartbeat that I want to take away for myself, for us this morning. How is my discipleship going? I don't want to be just a believer in Jesus, someone who abstractly holds the idea of Jesus. I want to be a follower, a disciple. How do we obey this command? By growing as disciples ourselves and then inviting others along the journey. It's difficult to convince someone to follow Jesus when your following is not going all that well. Follow, seek to be a disciple of Jesus yourself and then invite others along on the journey through the mortification of your own sin, time in the word, time in prayer, time in community that God would move among us as we seek to be followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I I do ask that you would help us in this area. I have a desire. I know that there's this command from your very mouth that we go and make disciples. So, Father, I pray that amongst this congregation, you would be forming in us disciples so that we could, as we go out into this community, as we see our friends and family and coworkers and others around the community, that we would be able to invite them along the journey with us, not trying to convince them of just simply affirming some truth of knowledge in their head, but truly following you, walking the way of Jesus, clinging to the gospel, clinging to the good news, and yes, seeking to grow in ways that please you more and more and more as long, God, as we live. Help us, Father, to walk this out, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.